0: Hello, this is Dr. Beverly Wright, and thank you for listening to Tag Data Talk, sponsored by Emory Continuing Education and hosted by Dr. Beverly Wright. Tag Data Talk covers topics on the current, state, and future outlook of analytics and data science using an interview format with professionals and academics to discuss use cases, future trends, talent and skills, organizational structures, tool advancements, and other topics related to data science. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is Dr. Beverly Wright, and thanks for joining Tag Data Talk. With us today, we have Ayush Sharma, Chief Data Science Officer at Mogin. And we're talking about bridging the academic industry gap in data science. Thanks for joining us, Ayush.
1: Thank you for having me, Beverly.
0: I'm so excited about this topic because I've worked in the academic industry for 16 years at multiple schools, and I've worked in industry for about the same amount of time as a consultant or as an individual contributor or a team lead. So I'm like super excited that you're here with us to talk about uh, this subject. And I know this is fairly um, a fresh thing for you because you've been out less than five years, so this ought to be fun. But let's start off with, uh, tell us a little bit why you are so cool, Ayush.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, I did my master's uh, in electrical and computer engineering from Georgia Tech, and I graduated in 2015. And since then, I've been working with Mujin, which is basically a geospatial analytics company. And what we do is we collect location data across U.S. and use that to build models to generate actionable insights for our clients. And Over the years, we've worked with a lot of uh, different uh, clients in different industries, and some of them are. So we worked with Amazon. Uh, If you've heard of Amazon Treasure Truck, so we help them basically figure out which are the areas where they can, uh, high traffic areas that they can basically optimize to put their trucks in to get maximum uh, footfall traffic.
0: Mm, And then
1: similarly, we've worked with the big companies like Equifax, where they already have a lot of data, and then we've uh, helped them, add more context to their data, by providing uh, geospatial data. And then we worked with Braves as well, uh, where essentially they wanted to know, uh, optimize traffic better uh, to uh, because uh, stadium, there's a lot of, uh, uh, one of the problems that they deal with constantly is uh, there's a lot of traffic and they want to figure out how people are coming to the stadium.
0: Gotcha. Very cool. Okay. That sounds exciting. Um, so let's start off with uh, what we're what our subject is about. You talk about the academic industry gap, which, um, by the way, this was your idea, so I love this. But uh, the academic industry gap, what do we mean by that? What, what are we talking about, this gap between academic and industry when someone goes into a job? Is that what we're referencing? Help me understand that a little bit.
1: Yes, definitely. And just to kind of add a little bit of more context, uh, I started uh, working as a professional in data science. Uh, just three years ago. So I'm relatively fresh to the scene. So most of the things I mention are things that I've experienced myself.
0: Mm, Great. So So this would be like when you're looking behind and you jump into something and you're like, wait a minute, this is not exactly what I thought.
1: (laughs) Something like that, yes. And so so the gap exists. And basically uh, some of the factors that it exists is, One of them is the ambiguity uh, uh, in terms of when the role is defined by the companies as to what a data analyst means, what a data engineer means, and what a data scientist means. And that means different things for different companies. So uh, in my experience, uh, some of the companies that I uh, interviewed with, uh, when they were advertising for the data scientist role, they were looking for someone with DevOps background. And would prefer that if that, uh, if that person would also have some of machine learning capabilities. So things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, really kind of uh, uh, different expectations as to what each company uh, is, all, is one of the reasons. And then the other reasons come from academia because, and this is my personal experience as well, is... Uh, when I worked on and uh, on different data sets in academia, they were usually clean data sets, and that's never a real picture of how that thing, how things work in industry, mm-hmm. because you never get a snapshot of a clean data set. You always collect data. You always are a part of a data science life cycle from the beginning. So a huge chunk of uh, how that life cycle works is missing. Yeah. So there's one reason, and then one of the terms people uh, use a lot, which is a little bit misleading, is 80% of the work is data cleaning. Uh, that's somehow misleading because essentially 80% also includes you finding out what to clean. Um. If I already knew how to clean it, it wouldn't take me that much long time. So a lot of that time is also gone into what I really have to clean. What is missing in from this data or what is something that stands out? So things like these kind of uh, is the reason why, uh, which is something that As a student, I could not see in the academia what were the reasons why, you know, there was a gap essentially.
0: Got it. Got it. Cool. What about, um, I'm going to repeat these in just a second, but what about the understanding the business side? Like, was that a shock or were you prepared for that? Because once you go into the data science side of it, then you have to all of a sudden learn all this context. Were you ready for that too? Or is that another one that's a gap?
1: So that's an interesting question. Yes or no? I would say because somehow that comes with the. I think that should be part of your data science uh, curriculum or resume, where essentially you are attached to the business side of the results. Because whatever results your model produces will have real world impact. So in some cases, uh, in academia, I could feel that essentially uh, I was realizing that I was not looking at it for from more than a project perspective, where you know a grade is essentially you know what is essential, but not the the uh, and. So you're you're kind of
0: packaging it into like a a simple unit, right? Exactly. I'm not seeing
1: how this would affect any real-time statistics or any real-time decisions. So that kind of creates a divide as to where that model is really going to be. So that was another realization. So you can say that that's the business size of things that I did not realize. Gotcha. Started, yeah. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So the, the ambiguity of the different types of roles, you know, you get hired as like, for example, I hear this all the time. People say, I got hired as a data scientist. I'm not a data scientist. I'm an engineer. Good. You know, I'm a data engineer or I'm just doing dashboards or not that there's, you know, not that that's a just, that's a very big thing, but that I'm doing dashboards. I thought I was going to be doing more modeling. So there's some ambiguity within the roles. And you mentioned too, that there's an, a lack of understanding of the connection between the roles so sometimes people say well oh if you can do machine learning then you can do everything you know then you're also a devops person and you're also and those aren't necessarily connected.
1: Yeah. So and just that. You can uh, probably expand on that as well because you come from a statistics background. I come from electrical engineering. So people somehow assume that a data scientist kind of means that the person is already a computer scientist. Mm-hmm. But that's not always the case. It's it's a big amount of overlap. And that's something that everyone is working on. I don't say that's uh, essentially a, a byproduct of, you know, companies' expectations. But it's something that everyone is working on. But Yeah. No, that's that a great one. That's
0: a great point. And then the second thing you mentioned, which I love that you mentioned this, is dirty data, which um, one of the classes that I used to teach was an analytics practicum. And I made my students get real data from real clients to solve real problems. And I have to tell you that they did not always like that because they were like, well, why is this data not clean? And didn't they know we were coming? And, you know, and from the client's perspective, the the data sponsor of the class, they thought that the data was clean. Like from their perspective, it was clean. So some of it has to do with your definition of clean. You know, sometimes um, if data is not quite in the format that you want, then it's considered dirty. That doesn't mean it's bad data or data that's wrong or whatever. So that dirty data phenomenon that you're talking about um, probably hit you like a ton of bricks, I would imagine.
1: Definitely. And uh, interestingly, that's one of the USPs of Mojin as well. Uh, we have established ourselves as a data provider or uh, insights data insights provider, which knows uh, what bad data is and essentially have, uh, over the years of two or three, uh, uh, significantly invested in cleaning and contextualizing that data. Mm. So basically establishing a quality standard. So that should tell you how important it is to essentially have cleansed data.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then uh, th- the third thing I think you mentioned is um, really around process steps, like, the business problem framing so that you understand what data is even needed, you know, and that's really should not be lumped into data cleaning because the data is not even there yet. But you're right. A lot of times I feel like there's so many hours that are spent just hunting down the right, you know, fields and tables and, and sometimes augmenting from external sources, but just getting at what data is actually needed. And there was probably a gap in that you expected it would just sort of be available. Right?
1: Exactly. And I think, uh... We think of this whole data science cycle as linear, but it's really non-linear where mm. you form an assumption, you collect the data, and then you look at whether that data can uh, answer your questions or whether it's good enough. And then you've uh, reform your assumption or hypothesis again. And then eventually through this process, you build a model and that gives you an answer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so most of the times you spend a lot of time on the drawing board. And that's essentially not a bad thing because uh, I think of it as essentially... Uh, instead of uh, asking your model what the story is, you ask data, well, data tells you what the story is, and then you b- build a model on top of that. So that prevents you from basically looking at a model as a black box and uh, essentially just uh, plugging data in and getting uh, output outs.
0: Right, right, love that. you got got to sort of zoom out and get the bigger picture. And then you also mentioned um, business understanding that maybe uh, the focus on the academic side being so much around you know, building a good model, and so I sort of relate this to um, building houses, like building a really solid brick house. And I sort of see data as the bricks. And maybe there should there should have been a little bit more <laughs> emphasis around where is that house being built, on what kind of ground, what's the field, and what's the area, and what is the air like, and what other houses are being built around it. And so the the thought behind the business question and how the model is going to be used is not always... They, new data scientists don't always know like, that that's going to be needed. Is that what you're trying to say? Is that the, uh, the context and understanding what surrounds it and how it's going to be used is important too?
1: Definitely. And uh, I think uh, that kind of leads to the second uh, uh, part, which is what are the consequences of this uh, gap that exists? Yes. And I think one thing is exactly that as to... How do you interpret results results then? And I'd like to give an example. We were working with a digital out-of-home marketing campaign. And then the idea was to capture attribution for people who have basically seen a billboard, essentially, and then whether they're most likely to visit what kind of an establishment. Now, one of the assumptions that uh, I realized when I was working with this data was that it's geospatial data, which means that for us to capture someone uh, for viewing that billboard, we're assuming that that person is actually around a certain area of that billboard. But then due to, and this is when when you realize uh, what are the assumptions that you're making uh, around data, one of which is uh, the, the nature of geospatial data is that you get data after certain intervals of point when a person has moved significantly. And when you're essentially viewing a billboard, you're traveling at 60 or 70 miles per hour. So it's very improbable for someone to actually capture that In that specific area so then you think that if you can establish a line of path even if you've seen a person you know one mile before since it's an interstate uh, it's probable that person has basically traveled to see the billboard and that uh, improved our attribution results so that's just an example of revisiting the assumptions of how the data was collected uh, uh, rebuilding your model and then you know that this is how it helps to have a, a context building around the data
0: okay Fantastic. What other consequences do you see around not having that gap filled? Like if that gap goes unsatisfied, then what happens? Uh,
1: So one of the things that uh, I think uh, I find uh, as a consequence of this gap is so great that you've built a model, essentially. But uh, with respect to uh, a company, it has to be scalable and sustainable. Mm. It's not just a one-off project where we can uh, basically say that, okay, great results, client is satisfied. Uh, Usually the engagements are longer. So you have to make sure that the model doesn't break as the nature of the data changes or the different aspects or the dimensions of the data change. Is it more uh, robust to those changes? Is it made to build so that I don't have to uh, put more, the same or uh, more amount of resources in terms of time and planning in it again Reevaluate my assumptions. So, I have
0: to tell you, though, that is a tough one. That is really a tough one. And I've had many conversations with freshly minted talent about this because making, um, making the models operationalizable, and then even more so to your point, Ayush, is to make them scalable. That's tough because in the academic setting, you get them for one semester. Exactly. You know, and back in the day, I'm aging myself here, but I used to get them for one quarter. And that's all you get. And so you don't know necessarily where they're going to go next or especially with programs being flexible. You try to work within your program so that you can uh, collaborate with other professors and the handoff of the baton is sort of, you know, meaningful to get a full picture. But that can be really tricky to try to teach within the academic setting. So I can definitely see how there's um, somewhat of a gap and that it makes it difficult to actually get models into production.
1: Yes. uh, And there's no easy answer for this as well. But uh, uh, like you mentioned, definitely understanding the business case, definitely understanding the edge cases helps us to build a more robust model than we would have otherwise built. And it's a constant work in progress.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and that are there any other consequences before we talk about how do we fix all this? Because you're going to have all of our answers, right, Aish? (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) Yay. Yeah.
1: Uh, so one uh, obvious consequence of that is that the company has different expectations of what needs to be produced, and uh, the professional has a different expectation mm-hmm. of. So mm-hmm. uh, in terms of communication, that can show as well. And yes. I, I think that's the biggest. Uh, that's the biggest impact factor.
0: Really, you think that one's the biggest of all the exactly. different ones? Yeah, that's a pretty big one. So the difference between um, expectations and what the businesses are, the business people are thinking versus the data scientists. Yeah. Can we unpack that a little bit? Can you give us an example?
1: Uh, So one example was, uh, and then again, this comes from one of the projects that I've worked is we were working with a marketing agency who was working with the city of Bastrop in Texas, Mm -hmm. and they wanted to see why people were coming to that city. So uh, essentially, we built a model essentially where we said that uh, this is what you should expect. Uh, how much volume you should expect people to come. And then these are the places within Bastrop. And these are the places where they're more, li- more likely to stay, whether in town or out of town, whether they're day traveler or essentially they're staying the night as well. Mm-hmm. And one thing that uh, really messed up our model was there was almost for one uh, month, which was August of 2017, there was double the amount of volume of people. And everyone was confused as to why that was the case. Hmm. And there was a divide mm-hmm. because, Business analysts were not seeing the data and they couldn't understand why that was happening. But a closer look, realized that there was an event that everyone missed, which is why there was a huge spike in the amount of traffic, which was the Hurricane Harvey. So external factors like this, you have to, and then in that case, since there's a misunderstanding on both the sides, no one is able to figure out how to factor in that.
0: Right. So. Those kind of things are probably not taught in academia either. And so there's, because a lot of times, like you mentioned, the data is cooked. And these anomalies or strange occurrences within the data that um, are explainable, that might be a gap, too, that uh, you get into the workforce and you start seeing things and you think like, oh... It turns out I have to be a I have to be a detective. I've heard people say that. Yes. like it turns out I have to be a detective in this job before I can even start analyzing the data because I think a lot of times, and I mean, I, w- I was definitely guilty of this myself. We just want a good, clean, model ready data set so that we can just jump on it and start modeling. But the truth is you have to figure out what you're even looking at. You have to understand the business context behind it, um and all these sorts of things. So, I love that example that you just gave, because that's that's real life, right? Definitely. It's just that real life part of it.
1: Yes, and uh, that's fantastic, because you don't have to view being detective in a bad light. I think it's one of the most exciting parts of uh, being a data scientist, where you uncover patterns in the data, uh, where you ask data a question, and then you figure out an answer. I think there's no uh, better thrill than that. And I would even argue that's a thrill bigger than, you know, making your model work and getting the results, because then you understand the context behind the results, good or bad. Mm -hmm. So you're not, whether the result is good or bad, you know why it's that. And I think that's the most important thing you can get out as a result.
0: Beautiful. I love it. Um, We've got a lot of great nuggets here. If you had to give one final piece of advice for a freshly minted analytics professional about how to bridge the gap between academic and industry um, within this field, what would you say? I think the, uh, one thing, just one thing that you could say.
1: Uh, most important thing for me would be to uh, be familiar with the entire life cycle of the data, how the data is collected, what are the assumptions that are made with the data when it was collected, What is un- when it's ready to build a model, uh, what processes were involved in cleansing, what is something that, you know, that was missed. So things like that would Love really it. help.
0: Love it. So this is uh, back to the house building um, analogy. Exactly. This would be like, really understand your bricks. Know what you're building, using, and you're building of your models and your, and your algorithms and things like that. Exactly. Love it. Perfect. Thank you again to Ayush Sharma from Mojin for talking to us today about bridging the analytics industry gap in data science.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was fun.
0: Thanks for listening to Tag Data Talk, sponsored by Emory Continuing Education. I'm Dr. Beverly Wright. Have a great data set.